the population is growing, urbanisation is increasing, and as a result, food supply and security is of growing concern as we seek a way to produce sufficient amounts of food whilst maintaining environmental sustainability. It is expected that by 2050, the population will reach almost 10 billion. However, there are solutions. One of them is vertical farming, which can help us provide better quality food and improve the health of people through a smarter food system. Welcome to Acclimatise. My name is Joshua and I'll be hosting guests from across the environmental and sustainability industries. And in this episode, I spoke to Jamie Burrows, the Chief Executive and Founder of Vertical Future, to understand more about the industry and why it will be so important for our future. Hi everyone, my name is Jamie Burrows and I'm the Founder and CEO of Vertical Future. We're a London-based technology company focused on vertical farming. So you kind of there briefly touched on on what the company do. Could you just give us a bit more of a walk through what, what vertical farming is and kind of the, the technology that it uses? Sure, so, so vertical farming is essentially the, uh, the growing of, uh, of plants or, or crops indoors, usually on stacked uh, layers or on walls using um, typically LED lighting and then uh, different forms of irrigation. So uh, hydroponic or, or aeroponic um, approaches are used. And um, the, the whole idea behind it is effectively to uh, improve and control the, the conditions for plants so you're able to optimize plant growth. And obviously, because it's indoors, you can do it on a 365-day basis and you can uh, significantly increase output, not use pesticides and grow much closer to the, uh, the end consumer. In the context of the, the vertical farming industry, what do Vertical Future do? Kind of where, where do you fit into that industry? So we've been going about five years. We, we started out as a grower. So if you look at the industry and you, you divide it up, there are, there are typically several different classifications. You've got growers who have physically grow produce. Uh, so um, you know, quote unquote farms. You've got technology companies that actually develop vertical farming systems and, uh, and then obviously sell them to, to growers uh, and other people. And then you've got, um, I guess, software companies. We, uh, we started as a grower and we spent our first couple of, couple of years doing that. And we built a, a successful B2B focused brand in London called Mini Crops, which still runs and, and serves a lot of restaurants, over hundred restaurants. But uh, unfortunately at the minute, because of COVID, uh, you can imagine what that industry is like. Um, and then we, in the last, I'd say, two and a half years, we then evolved more into a technology and R&D company. So we, we built our own technology systems and we now, uh, we now sell those uh, across, well, not just in the UK, but across the world as far as Singapore. And, uh, and as part of that, we also have a, a SaaS product, a um, software as a service offering, which integrates with our, uh, with our hardware system. So I'd say that we're kind of, we are a technology and R&D company, but we do obviously have some growing activities and we do also sometimes take an interest in uh, farms that we build by operating them. Yeah, and so you kind of touched on the mini crops brand and kind of the, the growing aspect of it. And how did that kind of help your approach towards the technology and R&D side? Because you said you started out as, a, as just a grower. And so is that what made you get into the technology after having that experience as a grower? Yeah, I, I think it was invaluable. So we... You know, we, we built the, the, the business essentially from the ground up, very little capital at the beginning. It was myself and my wife, Marie, and uh, a couple of part-time staff that built the company. We knew nothing about farming to begin with, especially vertical farming. So we had to learn everything ourselves and through books and 
uh, etc. You know, YouTube videos and things, and there wasn't much of that. And um, that allowed us to then build kind of a, a plant library and an understanding of a lot of the metrics that are required in the industry, how to grow different types of plants, you know, yield values, how to sell into the market. And then when we moved into becoming a technology company, it was not by mistake, it was, it was planned, but I think initially we, we went out to market to try and find a better technology solution to grow our business because we'd had a very successful capital raise. And what we found is we weren't very happy with a lot of the options. So we said, well, you know, let, let's just, let's get an engineering team in and, and sit down and, and, um, and figure out how to do this ourselves. So you know, we built a very credible engineering team, uh, a software engineering team and a plant science team, kind of three key areas, and then built our own systems. Um, when we were happy with them, we then marketed them to, to other people. And, uh, and that's where we are today. But you sell not just the systems themselves, but also a software, the, the Diana software, and kind of explain a bit more about what the, what the Diana software does and kind of how that makes you guys different to any, any other vertical farmers in the industry. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are other companies that obviously have uh, a software offering. Um, Diana for us is the, the brain of our systems and um, it or she uh, runs the vertical farms and is integral to, to basically everything that goes on. Because we have highly automated farms, so we actually automate every single aspect of the process um, from seed treatment all the way through to, to packing. Uh, it's critical to obviously have a, uh, a system that's able to, to effectively monitor all of the critical points throughout that process and, and tell us if there's anything wrong. So. Diana provides uh, everything from stock management through to uh, sophisticated monitoring. So using things like RFID tracking throughout the process to, to tell you where trays are. So if you've ever got an issue with, uh, with a product recall or you need to figure out um, you know, when a product was, was seeded and who seeded it. Uh, then, then there's uh, integrated plant libraries. So using all of our data, if we, if we conduct central R&D trials, we upload that and then our, uh, the farms in the network can obviously benefit from that. We've got a, a chef's library that we're building as well. So we have an in-house uh, chef, Nico, who worked at a lot of top restaurants and he, he actually helps uh, us and customers think about, well, you know, we've grown this product, but then how do our end customers use it and how do we position it? And then there's a lot of other um, operational aspects as well. So these are effectively in, in many respects factories. So if you look at um, the evolution of vertical farming, I mean, it was initially called, uh, they were initially called PFALs, so plant factories with artificial lighting back in Japan. And uh, so it's very important to have a lot of the key operational energy uh, metrics, et cetera, all taken care of uh, and integrated within Diana. So we, we've got um, an EMU that effectively uh, monitors all, all of that. And so that obviously also kind of gets rid of the, the extra staffing cost of having to, to run all that themselves. So where does that come in into the costs of running a vertical farm? How does the, the software change the cost? And Because I think one of the misconceptions that I've definitely got from vertical farming was these kind of high rise, massive buildings, you know, 20 to 30 floors put in, you know, big cities like London. How does the software and how do factories come into that? It, it is true that automated systems do displace some jobs. So, and that, and that was actually our intention. So if you look at the a traditional farm or broad acre farm, there's a high degree of human labor required, but it's very basic uh, human labor and usually very low paid, uh, not, not for all farms, of course. So what we've tried to do is by 
not it's not just the software it's it's the hardware elements that we've built as well trying to move products through the farm etc you know we don't have people up on ladders or scissor lifts or anything so it's, it's a combination of the hardware and the software that have allowed us to effectively upskill jobs you could have somebody who has no formal training who's who's just um who maybe has, has not gone to do their a levels or gone to university uh, who can still come you know, work on one of our farms and be trained up and be well paid but their their activities are going to focus more on um, you know monitoring software monitoring the processes um and then obviously there, there are some manual elements as well but we're moving away from that uh, model where you have a lot of staff doing very low value activities so yeah you talked about how you know vertical farming can be used to really monitor the data and really kind of know how your food's growing and and what's going on with it and you recently announced was it a partnership with heck in the past couple of weeks about and you know how, how does the vertical farming industry you know opposing to the traditional farming how can you monitor the food better and produce better quality food because that, that's what you're all about improving population health you know through a smarter and better food system that's right yeah so so yeah to talk to uh, maybe i'll use tech as, as an example so I, I can't divulge all of the information regarding that deal because we haven't put it all in public domain yet but the the focus of that partnership is is twofold one is to basically allow them to have better quality produce at the same or even a lower price point that's produced locally so that supports them in in being um, i mean they're already a very very ethical sustainable company but um it stops them from either importing produce or buying produce from from afar it also allows them to have greater control over their over their production because it's literally housed on site you know, there are no food miles associated with bringing that product in that then goes into, you know, into their vegan uh, sausages. So there's that uh, element. And then there's obviously the um, precision growing nutrient or nutrition element. So um, we, we, we're going to be embarking on a, a pretty, pretty big program of research with them to identify key nutrients, uh, um, properties that they want in their, in their products. And by using controlled growing methods, we're effectively able to to tailor our growing methods to um, to arrive at those those kind of outcomes so it's not just about producing more locally or producing more per square meter or per meter cubed it's it's also about uh, the, the end product and, uh, and what it looks like but it is important to say that this isn't you know GM this isn't using uh, anything unethical or chemicals this is just through better control growing what vertical future and what vertical farming can do kind of around the globe obviously you're based in in london where where do you vision vertical future maybe expanding to how do you think you're going to grow in london so we we have uh, i think three or four build projects ongoing across the uk at present we also have uh, projects that we're looking at in, in mainland europe which are kind of at contract stage uh, some in the caribbean and then uh, we've also recently signed a um, an agreement with a uh, major manufacturing company in Southeast Asia. Um, I can't tell you the name yet because we're, we're going to put that out in the press um, very soon. But um, Middle East is also a, a, a big growth area for us because, of course, you know they have a lot of issues with with importing products. They have very little arable land. Uh, they have very difficult, um, you know, climatic conditions uh, to deal with. So. So we're also, uh, we have a couple of projects uh, ongoing there and we're looking at some much, uh, much larger ones. So, so yeah, I can kind of see us uh, expanding exponentially in, in, in many different geographical regions. Uh, obviously, there is a lot of 
lot of competition that's emerging in the space uh, that is of different levels of quality and different business models. Um, but I, I think our as our brand grows and um, when, when we're recognized in the industry and when, when we build larger projects, um, then yeah, I think we'll, we'll get more opportunities off the back of that. So can't really put a number on how many you know, farms I think will support in the next couple of years, but you know, it's, it's going to be uh, dozens. So you talked about the deal you've just got in, in the UAE and kind of talking about the Middle East and the opportunities there. Is that where you think the main opportunities are going to be kind of in those regions where they already struggle to grow crops and, and where vertical farming would be really, really good for, for the people there? Is that where you think the industry is going towards or do you think it will still be a big focus in, in the mega cities like London, possibly, you know, New York and the really, really densely populated cities as well? Yeah, I, I, in many respects, I think it's a lot of the attention of vertical farming focuses more on population density and, and cities. But um, I think for us, it's it's really a combination of um, climate and that. So it's um, so, for example, a large scale vertical farm may not be suitable to be positioned in the middle of a city. You may not have enough space. You may not need to. You know, if you're if you're producing thousands of kilos of product per day, placing a vertical farm you know, on the fringe of a city or five miles away uh, is still, it's going to be much cheaper and you're probably going to be able to integrate with sustainable sources of energy. Um, but it's always going to be better than the alternative, which may be importing that, uh, the products or, you know, shipping them from, from much, or sorry, driving them from much further away. So, um, so yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot more activity going on there. You will have a lot more uh, localized models. So we, we really like localized models as well. I mean, we're not, uh, we do sell, we do sell um, shipping containers uh, to companies too, but um, these are usually for research and development purposes from, for marketing, or if the company wants to do a very, very localized model. So maybe um, that kind of last mile model where you position quite a few in the city uh, so, so you know, we we support um, you know we support companies with that as well. But I, I I think if you look at what's going on globally, a lot of the island economies and those that have a higher propensity to to import goods and less arable land or difficult climate, climatic conditions, they're all going to uh, still continue to build vertical farms. But I also think that um, most countries will have vertical farms. Um, they just have different levels of need. And so, obviously, you know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic. Has that kind of sped up the growth of the industry at all? Have you, you know, working in the industry, has that kind of resulted in people changing the way they think about their diets and the way they think about their food? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's, of course, the pandemic has highlighted the fragility of our, not just the food system, but of, of the world that we live in and how uh, how everything is connected uh, in, in, in many ways. So. Yeah, I think that that in in many respects you have to look at some positive things that can come out of the pandemic because it's been been horrific, um, you know, in terms of deaths and and um, economic growth and, and everything else. So um, I do think that it will mean that we will look for more localized uh, sources of, of production for food. Um, but I think uh, there are other many factors that even prior to the pandemic were 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 pushing uh, economies to look more at vertical farming. So. Um, things like uh, population growth, which we've already mentioned. Obviously, we've, we've had a number of project um, uh, programs uh, by David Attenborough, and then you know, research that's been going on for, for decades prior to that that have suggested you know, temperature increases over the next uh, 100 years of you know, up to five degrees. I think they're saying on the low end, it could be three degrees, top end could be five, which, is, which would be just um, 
horrible for, for uh, agriculture and uh, I mean a lot of people have been displaced as well uh, that live in um, live very close to the sea so there's many, many reasons um, why vertical farming is something that we should be looking at. Um, more recently, obviously, there's been a, a push for people to be healthier. For um, you know, there were more and more vegans. Um, people are eating less meat. People are looking at more sustainable forms of production. So many, many things are pushing um, pushing people to look at vertical farming. Right, yeah, and you kind of talked about, you know, veganism and, and vegetarians and the kind of changing consumer market. How are you approaching that, you know, as a not just a mini crops brand, but also, you know, supplying R&D and technology and, you know, software and hardware to other companies? How are you approaching the kind of changing consumer market now and maybe in the future as well? So ultimately, because our, our main model is, is selling the technology and then developing a long-term relationship around data with our with our customers, with our partners, um, we we don't necessarily get involved in the the end you know, that 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 process between the the partner and the end consumer. But we do advise on it, and we help uh, you know, we help our partners look at different uh, different routes to market, different ways that they can position their products, different products that they can grow. So we do a lot of uh, ongoing research through our you know, central um, central hub, uh, central R and D hub in in, in Deptford. Um, at trends, uh, at different types of product that we could grow, at, at nutrition, um, et cetera. And then we, we try and pass that knowledge on to, to our partners. Uh, I think with regards to mini crops, um, I mean, we'll probably, that will probably become our um, central, it will be merged probably with our central uh, R&D activities. So we won't necessarily be doing any direct outreach to customers, although we do obviously maintain very, very good relationships with, uh, with many restaurants. So then one thing I wanted to ask as well was the kind of relationship with, you know, vertical farmers and the government and kind of what response you, you as a vertical farmer want to see from the government, what support you maybe expect or want to see from governments around the world and how that can help impact the vertical farming industry and how that might kind of speed up the growth of it. Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a difficult time to ask for support because yeah, I think there are so many other priorities and Different people will have different views on, on what those priorities should be and uh, in what order. But uh, obviously, right now, the government needs to needs to support um, people with you know keeping their jobs, uh, irrespective of industry. But I think if we if we put that to the side, I, I do think that um, food, water, and energy are the, should be the three core priority areas next to education um, for for governments to look at. And I don't think it should be a question of money. I think. You know, we uh, government should be putting as much uh, money as they can into these uh, into these areas to set us up for the future. Um, it's it's a long term investment strategy that uh, the governments need to embark on. Um, and I, I I think some governments are doing it really well. I think some are um, are not. But um, you know, don't like to scaremonger. But if we don't look at these things now, then you know, uh, you know, I, I've got two young children. Then you know, I, our kids are going to end up paying for it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that younger generation that are really going to suffer from it. You talked about kind of the, the food, energy and, and water industries and the challenges that we might face. What are the biggest challenges in, in your view that the vertical farming industry could face? Probably acceptance that it's a, I mean, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, there are some misconceptions about vertical farming. Um, so I, I think one of them is that we're, we're here to compete or displace 
traditional farming. Um, but the reality is, if, if you look at the vertical farming sector as a standalone and the amount of product that it's actually producing, I mean, we're still less than 0.1% of, of the total um, market value of, of you know, things like uh, you know, baby leaf lettuce and, and your kind of core fruit and veg categories is, is absolutely tiny. So um, I would just say that we're, we're kind of, we're here to help. And actually we work, we're increasingly working more and more with farmers who want to diversify and want to do different things uh, with their land, with their assets, with their real estate um, and, and figure out ways to actually enhance uh, what they're doing through their traditional methods. Um, obviously at some point there, there, you know, there will come a point in time when the vertical farming sector is large enough where you could say that it is competing directly uh, with some farms, but you know, I don't, don't think we're there yet. I think a, um, Another area that, uh, which, which again is a misconception, is the whole thing about organic. Now, in, in the US, but indoor vertical farms can, can be uh, considered as organic, classified as organic. Um, in the UK, we can't because the uh, um, Soil Association controls that. And to be organic, you need to use soil. Um, our argument and, and that of um, our colleagues across the industry is that you know, what we're doing in many respects is uh, as sustainable, if not more sustainable in, in many respects, than um, organic produce. So, you know, we, um, we don't use any pesticides or herbicides or fungicides. Um, most organic processes do, and, and most people don't realize that. Um, some organic processes can be very, very efficient. Other ones can be very wasteful. Um, you know, we, we, we try and push for zero, zero waste or as close to as possible. We try and use, you know, less water. Energy is still a question that, you know, we're, we're working on as an industry, but, uh, but overall, you know, it, it's a very viable product category in many respects that is emerging on its own. And the question will be, how is vertical farming produce classified? Does it become its own uh, own category or, you know, maybe a, a no pesticide category or something else? Or does it become part of organic? Um, so I, I think that's a big question that needs to be answered. Just a second on the water industry and kind of you know using a lot less water and, and what you're trying to do to to approach that so do you want to talk a little bit more about kind of the hydroponics and aeroponics of the systems and the, you know obviously the danger that the industry might face because of the the lack of water and how that comes in so a, a good vertical farming system will uh, effectively recover as much water as, as possible so we for example um, we we retreat all our water coming back through, we reuse as much of it as possible. We, we use aer well, we use both aeroponics and hydroponics in our systems. Um, so aeroponics, um, for those viewers that don't know, is effectively the misting of crop roots. So you use uh, less water to deliver uh, you know, the same amount of, of nutrients effectively, if you look at it from a simplistic standpoint. Uh, and hydroponic is effectively flooding the roots, so have a base of water interacts with the roots. So with hydroponics, you use more water than aeroponics. But I do think that there is some misrepresentation of data across the industry in terms of the comparative use of water in a vertical farm compared to broad acre farming. So um, I think people forget that irrespective of uh, how efficient your, your system is and how much water you're recovering, you know, to grow a, um, a head of lettuce you know, for one kilogram of lettuce, you need effectively, you know, 20 to 40 times uh, its weight uh, in water to, for it to grow uh, to the size that you want. So it's, um, and, and, and of course, it's always impossible to effectively recover all of the water that's effectively being transpired from that. 
So um, you then enter kind of this realm of uh, potential trade-offs with energy, uh, you know, and assets that you need to put in place to recover that water and the energy that you need to input uh, into that process in order to recover the water. So it's quite a complex equation, but I would say overall, you know, we're, we're really pushing to, um, to, be, to be much better uh, uh, in terms of water utilization because, you know, water will be a big, big problem in the future. Yeah, but water being a much bigger problem than, than energy because that can be produced through renewable energy and electric. So it's obviously something definitely to focus on. And you kind of talked about uh, the misconceptions of how much better vertical farming may be than traditional farming. Do you want to kind of dig a bit deeper into that? And, you know, the difference between vertical farming and traditional farming, and is it really that much better? Kind of what can we do to, to really speed up the growth? So one of the big issues is is lighting. So and and the resulting energy costs. So uh, a lot of vertical farming companies are, are using what we call early stage or generation one uh, LED lighting, which is very high wattage. It's uh, in the process of actually delivering the um, the energy, so the photons to the crops. Um, these lights also produce a lot of heat. And that heat then needs to, you know, we need to do something with that heat, which means you have to um, expend additional energy to recover that heat or get rid of it to keep keep a vertical farm at an optimum temperature. So um, it, it's kind of, um, it, it, it affects the commercial viability of many vertical farming models. Um, we've gone for kind of a different approach where we use kind of fractional LEDs that uh, allow us to grow much closer to the crops and deliver the same amount of photons uh, for le less energy inputted and uh, and through that process we obviously we don't uh, generate as much heat in our farms and uh, that allows us to then obviously uh, reduce our energy costs and um, improve our you know improve our margins and our, our profitability so that's um but you know a lot, a lot of a lot of vertical farms are still kind of doing it the old way and uh, and and that's why you know you'll see the occasional bit of press that says this is great, you know, um, these vertical farms seem to output a lot of product you know, per square meter compared to a traditional farm and we're much closer to consumers, but they're using a lot of, uh, a lot of energy to do so. But, uh, you know, us and, and, and some other companies are, are you know, making inroads to, um, to disprove uh, that point. So, um, but, you know, to, 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 put, to put a figure on to, I guess, answer your question more directly is, is quite challenging in, in terms of saying, you know, per square meter, how much more does a vertical farm produce than a broad acre farm? Um, it's it's a very complicated equation. And then so the other thing that I wanted to kind of get into, for anyone wanting to get involved into vertical farming, you know, no matter kind of the level of education, whether it's university or A-levels, you, you briefly mentioned that you could be trained up even if you haven't got, you know, certain qualifications because of the way you're scaling the jobs. What advice and what tips would you have for people wanting to get involved? First of all, there, there are opportunities all over the place. So there are vertical farms popping up uh, in many cities uh, and rural areas as well. So uh, I would say, um, have a look for the different opportunities, make yourself known, prepare a really, really, really good CV. Uh, even if you don't have a lot of experience um, and, and you're coming straight out of high school, you know, talk about your, your, your strengths. Uh, and um, we, we get a lot of people who get in touch who, um, and, what we're trying to do is, is work with um, further education, higher education, and also set up our own independent you know, internship schemes, placement schemes, et cetera, that obviously translate into jobs. 
uh, and we're doing that with uh, with various partners. So, so yeah, I think you know, make yourself known and, and look out there for the opportunities. And, and um, I'm also um, don't take no for an answer. I think some some of the people that have got jobs with us, um, we've taken them on because they've uh, you know they've been persistent and they've followed up and have uh, ended up being really really good team members. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for joining and coming on. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge about the industry. It's evident that Versical Future are going to be definitely up there, one of the top companies in vertical farming. So thank you. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.